1: A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit and not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Well, this is the fifth Sunday of Lent where we focus on the theme of sacrifice. And yet this week we watched as eight women, six of whom were Asian, were themselves sacrificed at the altar of a white man's hate. The sacrifice of Lent is from a place of strength and agency it's where we lay down our false selves, our fixations, our commitments to self preservation, in short, our ego. Each of these things that we lay down in their own way contribute to conflict and violence. Lent helps us see that what seems good for us can, in fact, be good or bad for others. During Lent, we reconnect with Jesus' invitation to lay the ego down so that our neighbor can flourish so that those we love will benefit. We sacrifice something in ourselves for the good of another, but what we saw in Atlanta this week and what we see in all acts of terror and hate is a sacrifice of another for our own good. Lenten spirituality doesn't exist to just make your life harder or to beat you down or simply to help you acquire a glow of righteousness that makes you feel better about yourself, no. What we saw this week is that a refusal of Lenten spirituality can cost precious lives, which is to say that the embrace of Lenten spirituality can save them. Yes, we need better laws. Yes, we need better policies and better advocacy, better awareness and better language. But what energy will drive those who are unaffected and untroubled by these concerns to engage and to share the burden? This is the importance of the Lenten spirituality, of sacrifice, and of solidarity. The Gospel reading for today its a very important moment in Jesus' story. Here we see him embrace his voice, his glory, his moment. We see in Jesus a resolve to finally embrace the public's attention, to let them see him. Several of the Gospel writers highlight how up to this point, Jesus has attempted to sort of remain under the radar. He often tells people to remain quiet about him. He flees the crowds at critical moments. He spends his time on the periphery of Jerusalem and Judea, avoiding the nerve center of the region. Scholars call this the messianic secret motif. But what is Jesus hiding? Why does he seek to remain in the shadows? Well, most likely, Jesus had an agenda. He had a series of things that he wanted to accomplish, not least to invest his time and energy into a small community of apprentices, what we call disciples. People who could know him, who could observe him in action and learn from him. People who would carry his mantle forward into the world. This is the meaning of this ominous illusion in our text today of that kernel of wheat. If it dies, produces many seeds, Jesus says. Jesus was committed not to simply be a flash in the pan, but to be a spark that ignited a movement. But laying the groundwork for a movement, it just takes time. Perhaps it was inevitable that Jesus' process of training his disciples would draw public attention. After all, Jesus wasn't just preparing them to have this private spirituality in a private community. His vision for them and for us, is to engage the world in which we live, to engage our neighbors who are hurting, to engage the powerful who are causing or amplifying that hurt, and to let their light shine that people would see their good deeds. This letting light shine, it meant conflict in his hometown Nazareth after his first sermon in his local synagogue, where you might remember an angry mob attempted to lynch him but he escaped their grasp. At several points along the way, news traveled of the healing and the liberating effect that he was having on people and crowds gathered. But Jesus is always ambivalent of the crowds, often having compassion and seeking the help, but eventually turning them away with a cryptic or an offensive piece of language or simply escaping to a place of solitude. Of course, there are, uh, where there are crowds, The powerful notice. And so we also see the influential religious types of his country, the scholars, the leaders, and even the aristocracy chasing him down to observe and eventually to strategize how they might destroy him. Jesus knew that he had to pace himself, right? He was eventually marching toward a showdown in Jerusalem, but for most of the story he isn't ready for that just yet. He saw it in the stories a kind of invisibility, because he knows that what will come when people, to use the request of the festival crowd here, see him, what they will do. We wanna see Jesus, they say. And that desire to see him has reached a fever pitch. But we see something different in Jesus here, and that's why we focus on the story today. we see him here, embrace this moment of of attention. We see him embrace the eye of the public and own his voice and calling to express his true essence. In the language of the text, he embraces that this is the time to be glorified. Jesus says, the hour has come. There are moments in our lives when it is time to face something we've been avoiding. In some cases, as here with Jesus, we've avoided for good reason. But it becomes clear that this is the hour, right? The hour for us to engage, the hour for us to shine forth to own our voice. I can't help but think of my conversations with Asian friends and parishioners this week as they process their experience of the growing number of hate crimes against Asians in this country during the pandemic. Many feel attention. On the one hand, they feel deep grief, profound fear, and a sense of righteous anger. On the other hand, they feel the pull of a deep cultural instinct to remain invisible, right, under the radar, so to speak. Theirs has been a long posture of assimilation and of cultural deference. It's helped them survive in this country. They've expressed to me the, the strong desire to sort of remain invisible so as not to draw public attention and therefore the hate of white supremacists. Some feel the pressure to sort of minimize their cultural pain and loss in the light of the black experience in America. They find it hard to say that this is hard, or this is wrong, or this needs to change when others have experienced something which they perceive as perhaps worse. I think of my own journey of growing up for much of my life, not really feeling the freedom to express how I really think and feel whether it was at home, or at church, or at work, or in my friendships. See, my personality type was forged in the fires of a sense that it wasn't safe to express how I really thought and felt. And therefore to survive, right to be accepted and admired, I needed to become what others expected or wanted. I can recall living in Dallas and reading a book required by my graduate program, a book called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. And I had this epiphany. I began to see how much of a slave I had become to others' expectations. I began to learn about this idea that psychologists and theologians call the false self. And I was awakened to pursue and to discover and to express my true self. But this is a battle. For me, it's been a path with genuine resistance, and this is the essence of healthy spirituality. As I observed and as I discovered and learned, I realized that to embrace my true self and to express it in the world, I'd have to take some risks. The risk of rejection from those that I, that I care about, whose opinions I respect, to risk the misunderstanding or even hate of others, to risk uh, the risk of setting aside my self-preserving instincts and to shine forth from the place within me that is true and that's real. The spirituality of Jesus invites all of us to embrace our glory. Glory being, essentially, the light of our essence, the weight of our beauty and our sacredness. But we can find this awkward, at least I know I can. We even find it antithetical to Jesus' teaching as we understand it. Aren't we supposed to deny ourselves? Or in the words of our text, aren't we supposed to hate our life in this world so that we may keep it for eternal life? But listen to Jesus here. We assume there's a dichotomy between expressing our glory and denying ourselves and making deep sacrifices. But Jesus sees them as two sides of the same coin. Also, it's important to know that the self Jesus is inviting us to deny or to hate is the false self. We're asked to lay down our egos, which are forged in the fires of our empires. In John's Gospel, the world is a phrase that describes the corrupt, and the unjust systems of oppression that deface the dignity and beauty of God's creation. Jesus invites us to hate the so-called life of that world and of that system. We're called to hate our lives of insecurity and hate, of backbiting and gossip, of greed and corruption, of murder and assault, of insults and discrimination. To hate that world is to see it for what it is, as false and harmful and not worthy of our energy. The challenge is these byproducts of humanity are often uh, expressed as attempts to pursue something good. Jesus says here, the hour has come, but there's pain here. He says, my soul is troubled. When we stand on the precipice, looking into the opportunity to own our voice, to own our calling, to express our glory, our souls can be troubled. We can see and know the threats that await. There's often a cost to this public expression, but Jesus asks rhetorically, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this hour that I've come. How often do we ask God, to save us from the moments that are actually our destinies, our most profound callings. Jesus shows an incredible resolve here. He expresses it by breaking down another dichotomy. He says, Father, glorify your name. But wait, just a moment ago, he said the hour has come for him to be glorified. But Jesus knows that healthy spirituality sees both of these as one in the same. When our glory shines, the glory of our true self, God's glory shines. Because our glory is a unique and yet derivative glory, in the same way that a parent or a hometown often cheers on its children to shine, because in some ways it reflects on them. So it is here. A voice at this point comes down from heaven, affirming this commitment to shine, to simultaneously glorify God and Jesus then Jesus in a real moment of swagger says, this isn't for me, I don't need this, you need this. And need it we do. We have so many voices encouraging us to go along to get along, to stay in hiding, to keep our mouths shut, to keep our thoughts and our feelings to ourselves, to play it safe, to stay in bounds, to avoid pain or ridicule or conflict. But Jesus is driven by a deeper voice, the voice of love, It's a voice that descended on him in his baptism, a voice that affirmed him once again at his transfiguration on the mountain. And of course, in John's story, we don't have either of those moments included, so this is his moment of divine voice. It's validating the path of Christ for our sake. The crowd here wants to see Jesus. We all want to see Jesus, but what will we see when we see him? I think he knows that what we will see would perhaps scare us, and so we need divine affirmation. That this reversal of perspectives, that this suffering and rejection and ultimate crucifixion of Jesus are revealing a most profound glory that's at the center of the universe. The glory of God's fearless love. It's a love that does what needs to be done for the good of another. It's a love that restrains what needs to be restrained for the good of another. It's a love that speaks the truth when it needs to be spoken for the good of another. It's a love that admits that when it is wrong, it can own it for the good of another. It's a love that seeks accountability when someone's hurt and it seeks reconciliation and restoration for those who have fallen. It's a love that speaks up and shines brightly from the place of the true self. And it's a love that can see when the false self is taking up too much space in a room and simply needs to be quiet and listen. It's a love that learns to sit down and be humble in our ways of ignorance and sin, and it's a love that learns to stand up and shine in the way of love. May God give you the wisdom and the grace this week to understand the timing of your life, to know when the hour is to shine, to go public, to own your voice, to have the courage to face the resistance that awaits. May God help you follow the path of Christ, which will make even the ultimate sacrifice so that God's glory in us may shine and grow well beyond our short life. Maybe you feel you've missed your hour. A moment presented itself for you to speak, to act, to engage in truth and love, and you let it pass, or worse, perhaps did harm. This is where Peter and the other disciples' story is so helpful. When Jesus' hour came, there were some who supported those who remained present. Simon the Cyrene helped to bear his burden, and apparently he was transformed by it. But the disciples, they abandoned. They watched from a distance. Peter actively denied Jesus three times, but later, after witnessing that life triumphs over death, after hearing the tender and the forgiving words of Jesus, inviting him to love him by loving others, he stands up in virtually the same place of his denial, and he speaks to virtually the same crowd that he couldn't face before, and he shines. He embraces his voice, he embraces his glory, and God is glorified. It's never too late to shine your light in this world. May God give us courage that thunders in our inmost being, as it did among the crowd in this
0: story. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creed's, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text goodshepherdny, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's goodshepherdny to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com.